You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1343 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday here in early November. And today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. They have, they have covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And I also want to tell you at the top of the podcast to make Lawton Hawks your first listen each and every day. Check out the Lawton Hawks podcast across podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and also on YouTube. If you want to the uh, the video look at the podcast on a daily basis as well, today's show we'll dive into what became a pretty interesting game in a lot of different ways. The Hawks led for the majority of the way. I guess the Pelicans it was not always an easy setup for Atlanta. It was back and forth all the way through, but with about five minutes to go in regulation, the Hawks took control. At least seemingly, they were up by 13 points with about 452 to go in the game, and uh, I honestly was kind of just filing away a win on my uh, on my inner monologue and on my notes and all that fun stuff, and then suddenly the game got away from the Hawks in a big way for about three minutes. It's just kind of an implosion that happened to their credit, and I want to stress that to their credit. They did not allow that to sort of beat them in this game, but the Hawks trailed twice in the final minute of regulation, ended up coming back to John T. Murray with a big shot to force overtime, and then they sort of dodge a bullet at the very end of the game. Brandon Ingram misses a shot that would have won it for the Pelicans at the buzzer, and then the Hawks were the better team in overtime. Uh, even then, it got a little bit too dicey for uh, for comfort at the end of, at the end of overtime, but uh, the Hawks were able to hold on. And with this win, the Hawks were 6-3, and three, a pretty nice spot to be in for any team, but especially for a team that's had some uh, some challenges, at least some, uh, you know, some early growing pains, all that fun stuff. But uh, they've done the job so far, and winning at a solid clip, we'll, we'll sort of get into all that stuff on today's show. Um, first things first, though, some context to this one. This is the first of four home games in six days for the Hawks, which is a little bit busy for me, of course, going down to the arena but the Hawks have been away for a long time. They didn't play at home for almost two weeks. And uh, they, of course, they played five games in a row on the road, uh, kind of a, a, a long and winding trip. And uh, also for some context here, the Pelicans played on Friday night at home in New Orleans. So it was back-to-back for them. The Hawks had the arrest advantage as a result of that. Now, New Orleans played these sort of zombie Golden State Warriors on Friday. They were able to beat them, but that was the shorthanded Warriors not like a grueling game necessarily, but still the Hawks had a slight advantage there, both with the extra day off of, of rest and also the home court advantage in this one. Rotationally and injury-wise, like everyone was pretty much healthy, at least available, except for Bogdanovich. Um, the, Pel- the Pelicans are missing some guys that are like long-term injuries, but nobody uh, in their core pieces. Trey Young was questionable coming in to this one with the eye with the eye contusion that he actually got on Wednesday. Ended up, it was pretty clear by the time Nate McMillan talked on Saturday that he was going to play. Uh, it wasn't official until about an hour before game time, but Trey ended up playing. Actually got banged up again later on in the game with a calf issue, but uh, he was able to play, play big minutes, and uh, contribute at a high level as always. And then our friends at Ben Online actually made the Hawks a two-point favorite in the game by tip-off. It was kind of back and forth, depending on Trey's situation and the way he was listed as questionable, but the Hawks were narrow favorites. Not like huge favorites, but even at home, the Pelicans – are seen as a pretty comparable team to the Hawks in the betting market. Because that's kind of what that, what that tells you because Atlanta had the edge and rest and home court and were still only favored by two, two and a half points, something like that. So kind of a equivalent game in a lot of ways, and it kind of played out that way down the stretch. So as for the game itself, the Hawks did lead for the majority of the night. In fact, it was 12 to 5 
out of the gate. They made their they made five of the first seven shots. Trey got Zion switch on them the first possession of the game and uh, drilled an off dribble three. He was really aggressive, I thought, trying to engineer a lot of the offense and kind of take control of the game in the early going. Uh, the Clint Capella was very aggressive and good, and really the entire game he was one of the bigger stories for me um, in this one. He made his first three shots, had a co- had, had a hook shot, a three point play chance. There was a nice lob to him later on in that early run from Trey Young. To Capella for a dunk. Um, defensively, it was Trey being hidden on Herb Jones, as you might imagine, as their worst offensive player for the Pelicans. It was Murray on CJ McCollum. It was Hunter on Brandon Ingram, who did a pretty good job, I thought, in this game. And then Collins got the assignment on Zion Williamson for the most part. I thought Collins had a good defensive game as well. He got some praise from Trey and from McMillan after the contest for how well he played against Zion. Zion has had big numbers, as he's pretty much always going to do. But I thought, especially individually, Collins did a really good job both on Zion and also on the help side in this game. Uh, Rotationally, though, Collins got got a second foul pretty early in the game, had to come out. And instead of going to Jalen Johnson, they actually went to Justin Holiday, which is a, a pretty interesting decision. I didn't mind it because uh, it was just because Justin's more of the uh, you know the veteran sort of safety option there, but also because New Orleans had taken Zion off the floor at, the, at that same point, so they were playing Trey Murphy at the four, and that kind of allowed the Hawks to play a little bit smaller in that instance and had that Holiday Hunter wing tandem uh, forward tandem. It was Jalen later on, and also Jalen had a really good game in this game as well. But that was at least a, a, a small tweak, we'll say, from the rotation. Akangu came in a little bit later than usual in part because Clint was playing so well. The Hawks have been taking Capella out of the game pretty early and then bringing him back in quickly to pair with Trey Young for longer stretches, which actually happened in the second half of this game. In the first half, uh, because Valanchunas, who is a just a monster of a human being, he gives Okongwu a lot of problems. That's been happening for the last two seasons, basically. And Capella had it rolling. He had nine points and seven rebounds in the first eight minutes. He was very good there. And then they brought in, as soon as Larry Nance came in at center for the Pelicans, they went to a Kongwu. That was kind of the matchup for the most part in this game. Uh, then it was Jalen Johnson, Aaron Holiday joining Justin Holiday and, uh, and a Kongwu off that bench unit with Trey first and then DeJounte Murray later on. Neither team had a turnover in the first, like almost nine minutes of the game, which is uh, very interesting in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the Hawks had a tough time with Zion early on in the game, I thought. But for the most part, um, the team had a turnover, and it was kind of just like, you know, pretty smooth sailing on both ends. But the Pelicans, they just couldn't make shots. The Pelicans were 7 of 20 from the floor, which probably helped the Hawks in the way that they were trying to approach the game at that point. Um, Zion did blow by a Kongwu a couple times, and I think actually Nate McMillan kind of candidly acknowledged that after the game. I was, I was a little bit surprised by that, but they, they they tweaked the defensive assignment because they started out with Kongwu on Zion when they, when they were playing there. I will say, in defense of a Kongwu, the first possession that Zion, uh, the sort of first move that he did on Kongwu was basically unguardable for anyone. It was one of those turbo spin moves that Zion is just like unguardable at doing. But then they went to uh, Jalen Johnson, and the first play when they went to Jalen, Justin Holly had a nice dig down, got a, got a strip on Zion, and, uh, J- and I thought Jalen did a pretty good job one on one, which was at least notable to throw a different wrinkle at uh, Zion in this game. The Hawks were up by one at the end of the first quarter, and it was really the only quarter of the game where the offenses were really kind of in charge. Um, maybe some, somewhat in the third quarter as well, but that was more of a, a more of a disjointed kind of quarter. In the first, it was like really kind of up and down in a lot of ways, um, but just kind of flagging that for later because the, really the defense has kind of settled in on both sides of the floor uh, during this game. And went back to Jalen in the second quarter um, against Zion. He had a nice deflection in the first minute. I, I honestly had a great sequence overall. He had a three on like, Maybe a minute later, Holiday got a deflection that went right to Johnson, who had an open floor in front of him when he grabbed the ball and uh, had a windmill dunk in transition, like just kind of a flying forward. It's a reminder of like Jalen is a high end athlete who is very big and very long and very explosive. And that was a fun little moment for Jalen, who, who again played very well in this game. 
But overall, the bench got rocked at a couple of different, different points in this one. But it was better, better in the second half. Um, Murray blew right by Zion, like pretty notably, um, on a switch to force a Pelicans timeout. And the Hawks had a 14-6 to run early in the second quarter to kind of take the lead back and go back up by nine at that point in time. Largely, it was back and forth in the second quarter for the most part. It was like, you know, back, you know, the Hawks going from like up to up six to up 10 to up eight and then up 12. Uh, Trey had a couple of floaters that went that went well. Capella actually met Zion at the rim and blocked his shot. Not a small feat for anybody to do. Uh, it was a little bit scattered late in the half, I thought, but de- defensively they were better overall for sure as they settled in and they were up, uh, up eight at the uh, break in this one. A 122 offensive rating in the first half, which is pretty strong. It cooled off a lot from there, probably because they didn't have quite as much success at the rim. But they shot 55% from the floor in the first half with 38 points in the paint. That's a ton. They didn't shoot well from three. Actually, I guess neither team did really in this game. But um, they did a pretty good job on the glass, at least on offense for most of the game. Trey had 17 in the first half, and Capella had a double-double before halftime with 13 and 10. Defensively, um, it was pretty good, honestly. After the first quarter, it was pretty strong. Um, they turned six turnovers into 14 points in the first half. That's a pretty strong uh, decision there. Kind of uh, juiced that offense a little bit. They won the glass overall. Um, the Pelicans did. But the Hawks allowed zero offensive rebounds in the second half. Uh, sorry, in the second quarter of the game, which was certainly quite helpful. Um, anyway, we'll leave it there for now in the first half. But we'll have much more to come on the second half and the back-and-forth nature of this game, as well as some takeaways from this one, some individual player breakdowns, and more. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. The NBA season is, of course, rolling along right now with action each and every night. And football is also in full swing. It's a fantastic time of the year to be a sports fan. And Bet Online is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. Find all the latest developments in football and basketball. And that includes game matchups and news and podcasts at Bet Online. And they are the continued source for wagering information that includes live betting and esports and live scores. Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to wager anything that you're looking for at this point in the sports world. It's just a fantastic overall option, it really is across the board. And on this show, we talk about the NBA for the most part, and there are plenty of NBA offerings in the bet online space. They have game lines and props every night. They have future bets still available on who's going to win the East and the West and NBA awards and the title and all of that fun stuff is at bet online and elsewhere. Bet online has odds and lines on college sports and football baseball just wrapped up tonight, but still very much in the mix when it comes to world, world baseball classic and some other more obscure baseball stuff as well. MMA, they have boxing, they have golf, they have tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Head about online right now on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all of the trends and the action in the sports world. Bet online where the game starts. All right, and on the whole in this game, the third quarter was the worst quarter for the Hawks. Now, that ignores the final five minutes of the fourth quarter, which we'll come back to in a second, but the Hawks lost the third quarter in this game, 33-28, to 28, and uh, generally it was kind of early on that was kind of the bigger problem. Pelicans scored the first five points of the, of the second half at about 40 seconds to get the lead back to three for Atlanta. It was back in that eight-point range for most of the time in the third quarter. Uh, they tried to get Collins a little bit more involved offensively. He did a good job on Zion defensively as well and help side stuff, but he was not a huge factor on, on the offensive side. And McMillan said after the game that they tried to get Collins the ball a few times and just couldn't get it to him. And they kind of missed him a few times. They definitely saw that as well on tape. It's pretty sloppy, though, in, on both sides of the floor in the third quarter. The Hawks had a great possession, actually, that ended scoreless after Hunter missed a wide open three. And then Trey missed a layup that he kind of never misses as well. Some good ball, ball movement stuff, just not great results. And then Capella had a huge block and a huge steal around then as well, playing with a lot of confidence. Rotationally, is more normal in the third quarter after the um, 
a couple of tweaks because of foul trouble and stuff like that in the first half. Akongu came in earlier than he did in the, in the first half, but it was because Valanciunas also came out of the game, which is probably helpful. They stayed with Murray and Hunter a little bit longer in the third than usual, but nothing egregious. A pretty late entry for Colin, for, uh, for Jalen Johnson, but I thought he played well. And again, in that third, Trey had it going um, in a big way. He had 31 points, like 15 minutes left in the game. He cooled off from there, but certainly had some nice moments in the third quarter. They wobbled a bit, though, in the back half of the quarter. They had a shot in the air that would have given the Hawks a 13-point lead like with like four minutes to go or something like that in the third quarter. And the Pelicans got it down to two by the final minute because Aaron Holiday took a pretty bad, like weird, contested off-dribble three that had no chance to go in like mid-shot clock. And then Larry Nance had four straight at the rim for the Pelicans. The bench unit, again, kind of got blasted down the stretch of that quarter. Um, basically, DeJounte Murray was a huge plus minus fiend in this one, but the rest of the bench was like not great, especially the bench plus trade units got, got, got pretty much beat up in this game. Um, the Hawks shot very poorly in the third. They were seven of 23 from the floor in the third quarter with 0 of seven from three. I got bet on a little bit by 14 and 16 on the line, which is good volume and good accuracy, of course, but the Pelicans had, had some good shooting numbers, some better passing numbers, nine assists in the third quarter, and they won, they won the possession battle. So the Hawks were not in peril, because they were still winning at that point in time, but it was closer than it probably should have been given the way that things were going. And then uh, in the fourth, same kind of thing. It was pretty much closely contested for most of the fourth quarter. Um, early on in the fourth, the Hawks hadn't scored in like three minutes or so from the field. There was a big shot from Justin Holliday, who did not have a good shooting game in this one, but he actually made a, a, a timely three early in the fourth quarter that gave the Hawks um, a, the, sort of the back to, like, I think, like a five or six at that point. Akongu got his fifth foul with like, I don't know, nine minutes to go in the game and only 18 minutes of action. So uh, it's been a foul problem for him for a while. It was definitely the case in this one. There was a nice aggressive rim attack from Jalen Johnson that was good for a dunk off, off an offensive rebound. Um, and also, I, I, I did mention it briefly before, but Trey Young left this game with a right cap contusion, went to the locker room. And with about seven-ish minutes to go in the fourth quarter, the Hawks announced that he was questionable to return. Now, that's a little bit scary at that point in the game, of course. Hawks were up by six points. Trey had played the entire third quarter, so there wasn't like anything that was like obviously acute about the injury. After the game, Trey said that Zion kind of landed on him funny, and uh, that was, uh, I guess, when he, when he got hurt. But I guess he went to Nate McMillan and said he was ready to play. Um, he came back in and play but it was kind of just the timing was all funny because the Hawks just announced that he was questionable and then within like a minute he was back in the game so I guess that's good for the Hawks he seemed to be in good spirits obviously uh, but he's, he only sat like a minute after the actual actual injury update was actually given but here's the big swing so the Hawks have a 10-0 run that was this is the bright spot to go from up three to up 13 with 452 remaining Hunter hit a couple of big threes um, the first one was kind of a questionable shot selection thing, but he made it. And then the last, the second one was uh, much, much better, like in the flow of things. And then a nice pass from Collins to Capella for a layup. And then Herb Jones missed a pair of free throws for the Pelicans, which gave free Chick-fil-A to all in attendance. And there was a huge ovation for that, as always. And the Capella had another dunk, and it was like, all right, this game is probably over. Uh, not all the way, but up 13, five minutes to go, you are a huge favorite in the NBA. Of course, after a timeout, it was basically an absolute nightmare for Atlanta. 12 straight points by the Pelicans. Offensively, it was miss, miss step back, turnover, turnover, miss pull up for the Hawks in four possessions in a row. On the other end of the floor, defensively, they allowed three different three point play opportunities for the Pelicans. They just shot themselves in the foot a few times with some bad rebounding, with some bad defense, with some bad decision making to kind of have some soft fouls around the rim. It was a masterclass on what not to do with the lead at the end of the game. And overall, it became a 17 to 2 run from the Pelicans to go from down 13 to up by two. The Hawks trailed this game twice 
in the final 90 seconds after being up by 13 points. That, that, that should just never happen. If you're going to lose like that, you think you would probably lose like at the buzzer. Nope, the Hawks gave it all back in like three and a half minutes. But um, a big shot from DeJounte Murray originally to tie the game. Um, and then Zion scored again to get it back up to two for the Pelicans. After a timeout, though, Trey gets blocked at the rim. Not, not the worst take I've ever seen, but probably wanted to get a foul. Nothing really happened there. But the Hawks didn't have to foul, down only two, with like a 16-second differential between the shot clock and the game clock, something like that. Um, they get a pretty good contest from Clint Capella, who actually had a switch on to Brandon Ingram. Not the matchup you want there, even though Clint, I think, is underrated in space. He was still not – that's not what you want to have happen there. A good contest. Ingram misses it. And then uh, Murray basically isos. Like, it wasn't – it was not a huge surprise to me. I think this is going to happen more often than, than you might think. But with Trey on the floor, it was definitely, you know, Murray calling the number there. It was not a – like a – it was not a design play. It was Murray one-on-one against CJ McCollum, and he just kind of beat him for a pull-up jumper with, with four seconds to go, ties the game. And then after a timeout, defensively, the Hawks did wisely put Justin Holiday in the game for defense over Trey Young to make there be nowhere to pick on at that point in time. And Ingram, who is you know massively long, had a good look, honestly, over the outstretched arms of DeAndre Hunter. He just missed it. And, you know, the Hawks could have easily lost the game right there. That's a shot that Ingram probably makes half the time, maybe a little bit less than that. But it wasn't like it was a – it wasn't wide open by any means, but certainly not one where he misses it all the time. And the Hawks dodge that bullet and uh, go to overtime. And we, we already know now the Hawks won the game. But just as a, just as a reminder, in the second half – Pre-overtime, the Hawks shot 15 of 45 from the floor. That is 33%. You're going to lose a lot if that's what happens in the second half of the game. They were 8 of 22, only 21 points in the fourth quarter. Just a lot of ugliness on offense. And uh, at the wrong time, they kind of had that implosion when they were up by 13. It never should have got to overtime, quite frankly. I'm sure everyone everyone would agree with that. Nate, I'm sure, would agree with that. It was a really bad three and a half minutes or so. In fact, after the game, Nate said, we played well for 44 minutes, which is basically a nod to that meltdown when it actually happened. But again, fortunately, they escape. They get to overtime on the strength of the uh, of the Murray pull-up to tie it and then some defense, and it, they were the better team in, in overtime. So Murray scores the first four points of overtime. The Pelicans did, did get it to two, and by the way, would have tied the game, but Larry Nance, who I like, just missed a layup, just absolutely missed one, blew one. That was a big moment in the game, honestly. Uh, and then Trey beat Zion off the dribble to get a lob to Capella for a dunk. Uh, that caused a timeout, and Trey was really going at Zion, like jawing at Zion pretty obviously. The ref had to separate them. Um, Trey was uh, feeling, feeling himself at that point in time. The Hawks had two chances to put the game really, really away after that. Capella had a, honestly, a great kickout pass, kind of stunningly, to Murray for a three that he missed. And then after a really good defensive sequence from both Collins and Capella on Zion, Trey tried a deep dagger three and also missed it. That left the door open, and then immediately the Pelicans tried to get through it. So a few different times down the stretch, they were within three um, with you know the Hawks having the ball again. But New Orleans is in a zone. They get a bucket for Clint, uh, back and forth, back and forth. And then, honestly, what should have been the dagger again, a just a preposterously impressive pass by Trey Young to John Collins for a corner three to go up by six with 20 seconds to go. Now, it was actually kind of in doubt after that because there was a bad turnover down the stretch. The Pelicans had the ball down three with like five seconds to go. It wasn't like they had a ton of time, but it was kind of a mess. The Hawks made a mess at the end once again, but they were able to kind of hold on, dodge another bullet, and escape with the win. So that's a lot that happened there. I try not to go full play by play on you there, but it was uh, certainly kind of a mess for the last, I don't know, five minutes of regulation in the entire overtime period in a lot of ways. For me, it really ended up being a defensive first win, in my opinion. They had a 110 defensive rating, which isn't like fantastic, 
but it was far better than that after the first quarter. And really, they were plucky defensively in this game. They held the Pelicans to 47% shooting on twos. That's a very good number. And 30% on threes, also a very good number. They only had 23 assists and 60 turnovers for the, the New Orleans. That's also very good on defense. They had 12 steals. That's the fourth time already in nine games. The Hawks have had double-digit steals. That's like something they only had like maybe eight or ten times all year last year. So they are definitely creating more havoc defensively. A lot of that's Murray, but they've been a much more ball-hawking team so far. And the defensive glass was a problem at times, especially with the Conwell out there. But for the most part, it got better as, as the game went along, and they stopped uh, kind of bleeding as much on the glass. Offensively, it wasn't special. They had a 111 offensive rating. That's like not great necessarily. Um, I will say this. This is from Hawks PR. The Hawks have scored 100 points or more in 30 consecutive games. That's the second longest streak since the Hawks moved to Atlanta, which is, you know, 60 years ago, something like that. So uh, that's impressive. And they shot well from two. 57% on twos in the game. That's very good. Um, but only nine of 36 from three. And uh, while these guys had both but both had great moments in this game at time at times the combination of Trey and DeJounte they weren't like their best selves on offense in this one the entire way through in fact they combined to shoot 18 of 49 from the floor and three of 17 from three and that's not what you want to see from those guys I mean obviously they're not going to shoot 50 percent every night necessarily as guards but um they didn't really have it in this game in terms of like their actual individual shooting and the Hawks were still able to do just enough offensively. They did have 28 assists and 13 turnovers. That's a good ratio, more than two to one. And they got 66 points in the paint in this game. That's a ton for this Hawks team. It took 35 shots at the rim. That's a very good number as well. I was encouraged by the shot profile a little bit more for the Hawks in this game. They missed a bunch of shots, but they got they got to the rim more often and more effectively. So that was a positive as well. But anyway, up and down the board, they they weren't perfect. And we'll probably say this one more time at the end of the podcast. They were not perfect in this game. They had to really grind it out. They did really blow it and shoot themselves in the foot down the stretch of the fourth quarter. But there was some resilience to this effort. They all seemed pretty pleased with that. I think defensively they played quite well for the majority of the game, especially the bigs. I thought Collins and Capella were hugely, hugely impactful um, at the rim and really kind of deterring things for New Orleans, making them a jump shooting team. And uh, that's kind of what Nate wanted to have wanted to happen in this game. He was definitely praising them throughout the course of the post game as well. So a complete win. Was it perfect? No. Was it pretty? Not always, but you beat a quality team. The Pelicans at full strength, especially are quite good. So that was a nice win at home. And we'll get into all the individual stuff in a second, but first it worth our sponsors on the podcast today. All right. And on the individual side, the bench was not fantastic. There were moments. I thought Joe Johnson in particular was good, but it wasn't like the uh, the bench as a group was particularly fantastic in this game, especially the Trey plus bench units were not good. Um, I will say uh, just as a point of record keeping here, AJ Griffin did not play. He had been playing you know, at least one stint per game the last handful of contests, just a DMP in this one. I'm not sure if it was a game plan thing or what. But, um, you know, I, I've kind of wanted to see maybe, if anything, more of AJ, and we saw less in this game. And I've, I'm on record with this, but if you're not a listener of every podcast, I definitely encourage you to do that. But what I've been saying, basically, about AJ is that I think that he very obviously helps the offense uh, with just his spacing and the fact that he has to be guarded out to the three-point line and beyond. But defensively, he is a, he's a step down from the holidays. So I think Nate's just kind of leaning on that on the floor. I would like to see AJ Griffin play in every game. But he did not play in this one, so we'll leave it there for now. Um as for the guys who did play, uh, we'll start with Justin Holiday. He had a cold shooting night. He was one of six from three in this game. And when he does that, offensively, he doesn't give you much. Um, that's at least worth noting. Now, I've said this a bunch of times. I'll say it again now. He has proven to be a quality three-point shooter over a large sample size. I do not believe Justin Holiday is a bad shooter. He's shot like 37% for five years on real volume. So 
That is what it is. He's not AJ Griffin as a shooter. That's for sure. He's not Trey. He's not, he's not Bogdanovich. And this is another one of those games, by the way, where Bogey's absence really was felt. I've been saying it a lot. I don't want to overstate it either, but he really does. He would solve a lot of issues for this Hawks team, especially with, with, with the bench spacing. But Justin, I will say, missed his, uh, sorry, made his biggest shot attempt of the game. When they kind of needed one, they were only up by two in the fourth quarter, buried a corner three. And then defensively, I thought he played well. So that's, you know, two steals. He was active. They used him as the guy to sub in for Trey on defense at the end of the game, which is the right decision in my mind. So pluses and minuses, he wasn't fantastic by any means, but some stuff to help you for sure. Aaron Holiday, similar story. I don't think he played well. And uh, the plus minus numbers with the Holidays on the floor without, were not good in this game. Uh, he took one just horrible shot on us. It was kind of weird for, for Aaron Holiday. It's also a reminder that he's not a great ball handler like, by any means, even for a two. I know he's six feet tall and point guard sized. But his ball handling and his uh, decision-making was always tip-top. But defensively, he, could, he definitely get, gets into you, and he had two assists, three rebounds, and five points in this one. Uh, Kongwu had a foul-plagued game. This is one of those contests where uh, I will say this. On paper, the Pelicans are a much better matchup for Capella than Kongwu. So that's that's charitable to Kongwu, but it's also true. And Kongwu was not very good, I don't think, in this game. Like He had a couple of nice flash plays, but Zion really beat him up a few times. He had five fouls in 18 minutes on the one rebound. Like that's gonna have to be better, you know. O, o will have better matchups, like particularly when the Hawks play against like Boston and Toronto coming up soon. He'll be very valuable in those games because they're they're playing a lot smaller. Those are less great matchups for Capella in a lot of ways. But this is more of a Capella game, and I think the Hawks knew that and played Capella a lot, and uh, rightly so in this one. But Congo will have better nights in the future. And Jalen Johnson was really good. You know, Nate said that after the game as well. Like he got a question about Jalen, but he certainly did not stop short of praising him. He was definitely pretty positive about the way that Jalen was playing. 11 points, four rebounds, two steals, and an assist. He definitely showed off his um, his athleticism in this game. Defensively, it's still like a roller coaster for Jalen, but I thought uh, one-on-one he was pretty good against Zion. I actually had a conversation offline with my friend Kevin Chenard uh, before the game about how Jalen is pretty obviously in both of our minds – better when he's on the ball and more engaged on the ball. Like the off ball stuff's really where you see the issues for him defensively, but his tools are pretty good. And I think we saw that in this game. It was like, all right, Jalen, just go guard Zion. And it was a little bit more effective. Obviously he didn't stop Zion, but at the same time, he was better than the Congo was on Zion at, the, at this point. So uh, yeah, notable there from Jalen um, to the starters. I thought everybody played pretty well in different ways. So DeAndre Hunter had 15 points, six rebounds and an assist had a block. Um, 613 from the floor was not like he wasn't like super efficient. Two six from three, but those two threes were big in the fourth quarter. And I think defensively, Hunter, if anything, I might say has been a little bit disappointing this year on the whole defensively, but I thought he was good in this game. Um, Brandon Ingram is not going to be stopped by really anyone, and, but Ingram shot 723. I thought Hunter was really up in his space. He played aggressively defensively. I thought he did a good job on him. And uh, that should not be overlooked in this spot where McCollum and CJ both had big games. Ingram did not. That's not like all due to Hunter, but certainly Hunter did a good job of bothering Ingram and having that having that good size and kind of getting up into him. Offensively, it was more of a mixed bag for sure, but rebounding-wise, you'll take six, six rebounds from Hunter. That's solid enough in this spot, and he had a block shot as well. It was plus 12 in 39 minutes. Um, John Collins, uh, kind of a different game in a lot of ways for him. He was very quiet on offense by his standards, had seven points, five rebounds, uh, had two blocks uh, and an assist, only took six shots. And uh, he's been very, very low usage the last four and a half, five games. And I, I don't love that. I think Nate even kind of hinted toward that after the game, like they're missing him sometimes. But um, that's kind of the nature of the offense when you have these two ball handlers plus a roll guy in Capella or Kongwu plus Hunter. He gets lost sometimes. I don't think that's a good idea, but I think he, it, it's a credit to him 
that he was engaged. And that's something that everybody said after the game, you know, Trey did, Nate did, et cetera. Collins was awesome defensively. Like he really was, he was dialed in. He was making rotations. He was doing help side things. And, uh, you know, he actually batted, he badly needed one. So Collins coming in to the second half of tonight's game, I think he, if if my math is right, he had missed 19 of his last 23 point attempts. So like, he's been really cold from three. And I don't worry about that. Like Collins basically for three and a half seasons proved to be like a high 33 point shooter. So I don't worry about that, but he had been cold and everybody kind of knew that it seemed like after the game, but he had a huge three. That was probably the biggest single shot of the game other than maybe the, uh, the Murray jumper to tie the game in regulation Collins going up six and overtime kind of put it away. At least should have put it away. And uh, that was a big shot from him, but again, you know, sort of a good all court game the way that, uh, my friend Glenn Willis put it, by the way, and I talked to Glenn on the podcast this week. It's a, that interview is still very much relevant if you want to listen to it or watch it on YouTube at this point in time after this particular episode is over. But Glenn said it. It was like just a great team performance from Collins. Like low usage, yes, but like did all the little things. Tapping, you know, tapping the ball, keeping keeping the ball alive, playing good defense, and just like being a complete player. That was very useful. Um, anyway, that's we'll leave it there for now. Um, Capella was just awesome. Like at full stop, I think this is one of those games where, like, at least people agreed that he was really good. I think he's perennially underrated, honestly. But twenty-one points, nineteen rebounds, four blocks, had a steal, had one really nice pass that was an assist. Um, Ten to fifteen from the floor, got to the line only twice. That's totally fine. Capella was really good, man. Like, I, I, they don't win this game without Capella making a lot of different plays across the board. He was really physical. Everyone agreed on that. Um, you know, it's one of the showcase games for Clint where, like, I don't think he has this in every single night right now to put up, like, 21 and 19. But uh, they had to have him do this against New Orleans. New Orleans is a tough matchup for Okongwu, as I referenced before, and Capella just really stepped up. So I don't want to overstate it or go, or go crazy, but he was super active, super Im- impressive to me defensively. And then he finished around the rim, too. Like, it wasn't like he was perfect. He missed one that I'm seeing in my mind right now as I'm talking to you that was pretty bad. But, you know, he's efficient enough around the rim. He finished with authority, had a bunch of dunks in this one, and uh, definitely a, a positive performance from Clint. He was really, really good in this game. Uh, I know I talked about the lack of shooting success for Trey and DeJounte, but they did become the first Hawks teammates ever to have a 30-10 with, with points and assists and a 20-10 in points and assists in the same game. That's uh, one of those stats that it's kind of just arbitrary, but definitely impressive. Um, we'll start with Trey, actually, and, and with, with, with DeJounte. Uh, usually end with Trey, but this is one where DeJounte, I think, earned it. But Trey had 34 points, 10 assists. He was minus six because the bench units were pretty bad, and he was not efficient. Uh, he was only seven of 17 on twos and two of nine on threes. Trey's shooting has been not good this year. Like I don't want to make too much of it because I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme. I don't think that I have really any concerns about Trey being able to be an efficient offensive player, but his shooting from the floor and from three is way down and we'll see if that continues. But I think in general, especially before he came back in the game in the fourth, he was uh, still very effective and very, very prominently involved. And even defensively, like he wasn't necessarily good, but he was active at times. I think at the end of the game, he kind of dialed it in a little bit when it was important. And did his job for the most part there. And then Murray had a slow game in the first three quarters. Honestly, he wasn't making shots. He kind of made fun of himself about that after the game. He didn't didn't have anything falling for him in this one. He was one of eight from three, but he was eight of 15 on two. That's a pretty good number. And he ends the game with 22 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, three steals. So triple-double with 22 points. I think it was like his 18th triple-double of all time, something like that. His first with the Hawks. Uh, It wasn't like... I know it's going to sound crazy for a guy who had 22, 11, and 10 
he didn't play that well for like a large portion of the game, but he had the biggest shot to tie the game late. He was in, he was in command. He plays with a ton of confidence defensively. He has changed their identity. Um, not like single handedly, but he, like he's become the impetus for this Hawks team. that has been much more ball hawking defensively. His three steals and even just deflections beyond that takes care of the ball. And he was a game best plus 21. Now, there was a little bit of noise in there, like those bench units. That, uh, but honestly, his bench unit stuff has been much better um, in the last couple of games. So uh, Dejounte's been awesome. I mean, early returns on that on that um, in, on his individual play are very very strong. Uh, still a TBD on the partnership long term, but like those guys, you know, Dejounte's playing great. Um, he single handedly won that next game with the turnaround that he did on Wednesday, and then tonight, like it wasn't quite that stark because I think Capella has an argument for being the MVP of the game in some ways, but Murray is right up there as well, and obviously Trey is super valuable across the board. So. Lots of positives from the end of this game, but it was a roller coaster for sure, as I'm, I'm sure you can tell by the way that I'm talking about it if you missed it. So um, from here, the Hawks are in the middle of this very, very tough stretch of schedule. It started with the last three games of the road trip, that include, and this also includes tonight as well. Um, those last three games on the road were tough uh, after the first two in Detroit. Uh, of course, they lost two of them, but there are eight games remaining in that gauntlet um, of, of schedule and seven of them are against projected playoff teams. Uh, by the way, even the easiest game on paper coming into the season was the Utah game at home and the jazz are seven and three and they're playing well. They've not sold their pieces yet. They have a bunch of quality veterans. Are the Hawks better than them? I think so, but there is no longer an easy game on this next eight games. Um, gauntlet seven of the next eight games are against Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Toronto, and Cleveland, which Many people projected before the season as five of the top six teams in the East, five of the top seven teams in the East, something like that. Definitely five of the top eight in the East, and that doesn't even include the Hawks. So that's, you know, it, they can't play themselves. So basically a very tough schedule. They have, they have home and homes with Milwaukee and Philadelphia. No Middleton for Milwaukee no, and no Harden for Philadelphia, but still challenging matchups. Um, that brings us to our next game, which is Monday, 8-15 start. That's a very odd start time. So I did some research on this. Every single team in the league is playing on Monday and the league is making it free to watch the games on the NBA app. So they went out of their way to stagger the start times. So there, so there basically is there, there's a game starting every 15 minutes from seven o'clock till 10 30 and the Hawks have the eight, at the 15 slot. So if you're wondering why that was the schedule, a 15 game, that is why. Um, but anyway, that's a rematch of the game last week. That was a fun one on the road trip. The Hawks lost that game. It was definitely a close fought, well-played game. And Milwaukee won again tonight against against the Thunder. The Bucks are undefeated. The Bucks are nine and zero this season. Now, without Middleton, are they quite as good as that? Maybe not. But that's a really good basketball team. They won tonight without Giannis. Um, Giannis actually did not play because of a knee thing. So maybe he'll be questionable ish heading into Monday. But no matter what, the Hawks will be in action on Monday night against the Bucks. I'll be in the building for that one, and we'll have plenty to talk about. But the schedule is not easy the next seven, eight games. So circle that. If the Hawks can go out and take care of business, that'd be very, very important. But uh, Monday is the next one on the schedule, and the Hawks will have a very nice challenge against Milwaukee, particularly if Giannis plays. All right, that's it for me on this Saturday evening. Please subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. We're on YouTube, of course, as well. If you want to support the show, the best possible thing to do is to subscribe and download and rate and review across platforms multiple times. Apple, Spotify, if you want to just pick a couple and just do that for us and download old, old episodes, that's, that stuff always helpful as well. But also follow the show on Twitter at Lawton Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll see you all after the game on Monday.